Okay, we are, we are in Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. And I'm going to uh, uh, read back through a little bit, just overlap a little bit, since it's been a few weeks since we, we, we were in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 23, I'm going to start reading at verse 6. But perceiving that one group was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. And he, as he said this, there occurred, there, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there occurred... A great uproar, uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn in pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force, bringing him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Alright, so Paul, remember, it had been something like 25 years since he had left Jerusalem and and, uh, um, gotten saved and then was out on missionary journeys. Now, there was a visit back there, we know, where he had met uh, the leaders of the church, but he had never openly had an opportunity to share. He had only been there for a very short amount of time previously. And now he was only there for something on the order of ten days, eight days, something like that, and all of these events start occurring. It may have been even less than that. It may have been only about five days. So... Let me recount for you also what happened. Paul had come in chapter 21 of the book of Acts as soon as he got there. The believing Jews, in other words, the Jews that believed that Jesus is the Messiah, confronted him saying, you're out teaching uh, uh, against the law of Moses. He says, no, I'm not. I'm not against the law of Moses. You want to live under the law of Moses while being a a Jewish believer? That's fine. And And in order to appease them, he went through this Nazarite vow where he was going to pay for four or five other men, four or five uh, payments toward this, and, and take these vows in the temple. They see him in the temple, and, and, and uh, uh, they beat him up, and he's taken, he still hasn't said a word yet in preaching. He was just fulfilling these vows. He wasn't out preaching at all. And all he did was in Acts chapter 22... He was given an opportunity to speak. He started to give his testimony, just saying how Jesus had appeared to him. He said almost nothing. He spoke for, this is about a one-minute passage in Acts 22, where he was just saying how the Lord appeared to him on this road to Damascus. And and, and, uh, uh, in verse 21 of Acts 22, it says, and he said, speaking of Jesus, "'Go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles.'" They listened to him up to this statement, and they raised, <clears throat> they raised their voices, saying, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. <clears throat> so, he, here he is. That's all he said. Was a, spoke for about one minute. 
Now, in verse, in chapter 23, he's brought before the council. And during this meeting before the council, remember the first thing that he did is he said something to the high priest, either not knowing he was the high priest or not acknowledging that he was the high priest, and he gets slapped in the face. He said nothing about Jesus to this point. And then they give him an opportunity to speak, and he says one thing. This is what he says in verse 6. He says, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. That's it. That's all he said is the one line. Gone 25 years. The man who says he would give up his salvation, he would be willing not to just die for his fellow Jews, but to give up his salvation so that his fellow Jews unbelieving Jews could come into the kingdom of God. That is a huge statement of sacrifice. He gets one line of testimony before the council. His one line is, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I am on trial today for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Boom. The whole council goes crazy. And that's it. That's all the man got to share in Jerusalem. One minute in Acts chapter 22... He was just, it was just a prelude. He was just setting this thing up. He says, Jesus appeared to me, and, and, uh, and he said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. They went crazy. He gets before the council. He says, I'm a Pharisee, just like you, and I'm on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Boom, that's it. How would you feel if you had waited 25 years to share with somebody, and that's all the time you had? How would you feel? Pretty bummed out, probably. How do you think the Lord would feel? That for 25 years He's been preparing you for this. And this is all you, 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 you manage to get them deeply upset, so offended by you, that you don't even really get a chance to share. I mean, that's pretty bad. He's got them so offended that they go crazy. Every meeting they go crazy. In verse 22, they just went ballistic when, they, when, they, when he started sharing this. That They started throwing dirt in the air and saying, this man doesn't deserve to live. In, in Acts 23, the one sentence gets them to go crazy. I mean, you'd think that the guy would understand how to you know, gently you know, roll in there and gently warm them up and then, and then maybe after he's really got them listening just you know, hit them with the gospel and then, then he could be done with it but that's it now look at what the Lord thinks of the way Paul witnessed in verse 11 of Acts 23 but on the night immediately following the Lord stood at his side and said take courage for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem so you must witness at Rome also The Lord sees differently than we see. The first thing he tells Paul is, don't be afraid, take courage. He says, take courage because Paul is lacking courage. If Paul wasn't lacking courage, he wouldn't say, take courage. So, if you ever have ever lacked courage, you're in the same boat as Paul. Paul lacked courage, that's why he he told Paul to, 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 um, to do this to, to uh, take courage. Then he says, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. And Paul is like, talking to me? I solemnly witnessed to your cause? 
For 25 years you've been preparing me so that I could go back and witness to my fellow Jews. And I said two lines and it made them go crazy. You call that a solemn witness? What did Paul say? Paul got before the council. Here's his extreme time to share with everybody. The first thing he does is he gets the high priest so upset with him he gets slapped in the face. He said, oh, I didn't know he was the high priest. Jesus never comes to him and says, oh, I am so upset with you, Paul. I mean, you have offended the high priest. I mean, he never, that's not even on Jesus' radar screen. He doesn't even see it. He says, you have solemnly testified to me in Jerusalem. You have done it so well, I'm now going to take you to Rome so you could do it there also. Oh, you're going to take me to Rome so I could share one line? One sentence and get everybody upset with me? How is that a solemn witness? How can that be? How is that a solemn witness? Because the Lord sees differently than we see. The Lord knew Paul's heart. He knew that Paul tried after he had been beaten up terribly in the temple, all bloody and bruised. They were kicking him on the ground and he shares with them. Just a few lines. That's it. Jesus said, yes. What a witness. You are a tremendous evangelist. And Paul is like, ah, I didn't see anybody coming to the Lord. In fact, they just said, kill the guy. At least in other places that Paul would witness in the book of Acts, it would share and says, you know, even when the crowd got upset, it would say, yet a few believed. Here it doesn't say any. There's not a single one. Zippo, zero. A big goose egg. Zero people converted. How could the Lord say, solemn witness, great. You know, the Lord's just pumping his fist. Yes. You're done. You did so well here. These people have heard. As far as I'm concerned, you're done, Paul. When our hearts are there, God looks at something very differently than we look at. Right away, people will say, how many people got saved? Well, zero? <laughs> zero got saved. Oh, that's nice. No, Jesus doesn't look at zero getting saved. He doesn't look at the fact that all he did was get, was get people upset with him. He doesn't look at the fact that all Paul did before the council was share one sentence. He says, Solemn testimony. That was great. I mean, what a message. Jesus loved that message. In Jesus' mind, that was powerful. You mean, when I got up before, you know, the Campus Crusade group and I shared my testimony and I was mumbling and stuttering and, Jesus, great, great message. And Jesus, uh, on the edge of his seat, he says, you, that was so good, I've got to bring you now to IV to share the same thing. This is the way Jesus sees things, very different than, differently than we do. And especially as Christians, we become so lofty in the way we critique. Oh, well, you know, that guy's not a very good speaker, and he doesn't know how to put emphasis on it. It was kind of dry, you know, monotone. He didn't really make good eye contact. He was looking down all the time. He never looked to the left side of the auditorium. You, know, you, you see how we critique? 
And Jesus is this there. What a message. That was great. Because he looks at the man's heart. He looks at the man's heart and he says, that was so good. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a forum in Rome before the emperor because you did such a good job. Very different the way the Lord sees. You know, just this, this past week, and thank you so much for your prayers, I went to share with my father who was, who was very close to death at the time. He was on a respirator and he was in and out of consciousness and, and I was reading to him and, and, and there was a lot of family around so it was very hard. So finally I went in the middle of the night. He was in ICU. And I, and I just started sharing with him. I, he was asleep, and I just started reading the Bible. And I was reading out of Isaiah and out of Psalms and out of Hebrews. And finally he woke up. And uh, uh, then I started talking to him about the Lord. And I said, Dad, you know, it's not like I hadn't shared with him about the Lord in the past. But, you know, the last thing you want to do is get somebody who's upset, who's in ICU with a million hoses coming out of them. And he couldn't speak because he was on a, on a respirator. And so he has a big tube going down his throat so he can't speak. And the last thing you want to do is upset him. Right? You, you know, if you get him upset, he might die. And then, how did he die? Well, I just was sharing the gospel with him. <laughs> so you're worried about this type of thing, right? All the family will come back. The nurse says, well, it's his fault, you know. He started sharing with him. So, you know, you're wondering, what are you going to do? You know, he's a Jewish man. He's been a Jew since the day he was born. He's been a Jew all his life. And I'm sharing with him. And, and I say, Dad, you know, I know I've gone through this with you before. And just let me get through this now. And I won't bother you again with this. I just need to get through this. And so I'm sharing with him as best as I possibly could. And, and I say, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, you know, he blinks his eyes, but he blinks his eyes all the time because he's in and out and in and out of consciousness. So I don't know if it's getting through. And I still have no indication if I've gotten through to him. And now he's off. He, after I left town, he, he, he got off the respirator, but I still don't know. And, and, you know, he was in and out and I did the very best I could. And the Lord really encouraged me with this. It's like solemn testimony. You did it. And this is what I have to rely on, that I did what the Lord has asked me to do. What little effort we give. You know, it is hard. It is not always easy. And we try. And the Lord understands our heart. And we give a little bit of testimony. Maybe only a few lines come out. And the Lord says, yes. Yes. I affirm you. You did it. You did it. And I think, you know, Bill Bright, this man, Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade for Christ, the man was amazing. I've seen him speak. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. This man, they say of him, he could get into an elevator, meet a stranger in an elevator. Before the elevator reached the floor where the stranger was going, the stranger was on his knees praying to receive Christ. The man had such an anointing. He was so good. I mean, Billy Graham gives a very simple message and thousands of people come. Well, that's a tremendous anointing. There's not a whole lot of Billy Grahams in the world. There's mostly people like us that when we share, people get really upset. And they say, you know, you've offended me. And remember the people that Paul said, this guy doesn't deserve to live for what he's done. And this council was going to tear him Apart. Remember, this is the religious council. These are the guys who, you know, are all buttoned up and, you know, there, there, there's no 
There are teenagers among them. These are all old guys in the council, and they want to kill him. Paul got the whole council upset so badly, it says that a great dissension was developing, and the commander was afraid Paul would be torn in pieces. This is not, this, this is, uh, not just speaking figuratively. He was afraid the guy was going to get ripped to shreds by all these old men on the council. He had 70 old men on this council. He offended them so badly. So just because you offend somebody, you think, oh God, now I really blew it. Now they, now they really hate Jesus after what I've shared. And Jesus said, yes, solemn testimony. What a great testimony. You, you are, today, in my eyes, you are Billy Graham. See? That's what he did to Paul. So remember, it is where your heart is in that testimony. Let's read on. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy. This is in verse 12 of chapter 23. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Okay, so let me, let me just skip back because I, I forgot to focus on one thing. Back in verse 11, it says, So you must witness in Rome also. You would think that it would be very easy. If God said you are going to witness in Rome, God is going to send an angel with a chariot. Paul will hop on that chariot, he will be taken to Rome, and the, he will share in front of the emperor, right? Or, minimally, God will bring a cruise ship to the Mediterranean coast. Paul will get on it and he will be brought there. If God doesn't want to use miracles, it's just just a normal sort of thing. No. Paul is going to spend two years in prison on his way to Rome. Paul is going to be involved in a shipwreck on his way to Rome, but not just a regular shipwreck. There are like 30 days going through this sea-sickening environment before the ship breaks up. Paul is going to be bitten by a viper. But God, I thought you said, I'm going to Rome to witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Settle down. You're getting there. (laughs) This is the way God is. Just because God has a plan for your life does not mean that that each part of this plan is going to be a delight. There's going to be lots of things that happen. Paul himself said, through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we fulfill His will in our lives. Life is not easy. Even if God has has the thing all mapped out. Even if God has, has assured you in your heart that you're going to be a physician. I mean, between now and then, there's, there may be a lot of trials. Okay, so in verse 12, here now you have, you, you have there was a conspiracy of men that they would, uh, uh, they formed a conspiracy that they would kill Paul. Verse 13, there were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under solemn, solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation and we for our part are ready to slay him before he comes near the place but the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush and he came and he entered the barracks and told Paul 
Okay. So what you've got is you've got, in verse 13, more than 40. So it's some number greater than 40. So it could have been a million. We don't know. But if it's some number greater than 40 and it's not 50, it's probably somewhere in between. 40-something have formed a plot to kill Paul. And they said that they won't eat or drink until they kill him. Well, guess what? They didn't kill him. So did they you know, die without eating and drinking? Actually, there is a provision in Mishnaic Judaism, and you can read these things today, that if you have made an oath that you would not eat until this oath was fulfilled, you can go to the rabbi and be freed from this oath because you have then sinned against your body because by your body you should not allow it to die or you've taken this... So there was a way out for these guys, even within their religion. But anyway, they formed this oath. Can you imagine 40 people who have said they will not eat or drink until they kill you? And they, they formed an arrangement with with the, the chief priests and the elders. So maybe not the whole Sanhedrin council, but some of the elders and the chief priests, and they said, go and, and, and make it look like you're going to investigate this thing, bring him down, and while he's on the way, we'll take him out. So think of these men. What, what is it about people that they will take all of this energy and invest it into doing evil. What is it about human beings that we do this? Why is it that we do this thing? That we invest all of this in us to do something evil? Now, we may never have taken an oath that we would kill somebody. But so much of what we do that can consume our day is, I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back at this. I'm going to do this. Look in, 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 uh, in Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17, verse 13. Proverbs 17, verse 13 says, He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Now that's an interesting principle. He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. If you have done good to somebody and they return it with evil, evil will not depart from their home. I mean, that's pretty scary. Okay, well, you know, that's returning evil for good. It's good was done to me and I return evil. But if that guy did evil for me, just watch out. You know, I may not throw the first punch, but I'll throw the last. Let's look at what the New Testament tells us about that sort of attitude. Look in, in Romans chapter 12. Remember what Jesus did is he raised the bar on all of us who believe in him. If we follow him, he raised the bar over the commandments in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament commandment was, don't return evil for good. Look in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So the Old Testament was, never pay back evil for good. The New Testament says, never pay back evil for evil. If somebody has meant you wrong, we're not to pay them back with evil. 
You want to be a follower of Jesus or not? You want to walk in the blessings of Christ or not? This is very specific. Say, well, they did me evil. Well, that's their problem. You can't return evil for evil. Jesus requires something higher of His people than He demands of the world. There is no return of evil for evil. Let's look in in this portion again in, in Romans chapter 12. We're going to start reading from verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, there is so much, so much in this portion that I just read. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I was talking with a young man this week. He was just saying, I'm angry, and I just can't get over it. He said, oh, I know a way you can get over it. You don't know, he said to me. I said, no, I know a way. The Bible says you can overcome evil with good. You can overcome that evil attitude with good. You have all this pent-up anger. You can overcome the evil with good. I've shared this before. I will share it again. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. The Germans were upset with the Jews. And so what they did is they started to throw stones through the storefront. And you would have thought it would appease the Germans' anger. It did not. It got them more angry. So then they put the Jews into ghettos. You thought, you would think that, it, that, okay, that would appease their anger, but it didn't. And then they, they started putting them into concentration camps. You would think, okay, well now whatever got them upset, will, they will be appeased. No. And then they started killing them. And even in the process of having killed millions, they even got more angry with them and wanted to kill every last one of them. So what it is, is that when we do evil, it causes us to do more evil. That is the nature of human beings. Not the nature of any particular people group. It is the nature of human beings. That is the way we are. And so C.S. Lewis puts it this way. That in your mind, think that if I loved this person, what would I do for them? I don't know. They, they like Snickers bars. I've seen them eating Snickers bars. If I loved them, I would buy them a Snickers bar. You buy them a Snickers bar. That act will cause you to love them more. You overcome evil by doing good. Just as doing evil for evil makes you hate more, doing good for evil that has been displayed makes you love more. So, one thing that, that, that I have done is if, 
people have said things or something, I write them a very nice letter just saying, you know, I really admire you and your career, how well you're doing. You know, and, and that was an excellent paper you wrote or something. And just mail them a handwritten card, something that has a little bit more effort than, than an email. And it causes me to love them more. I'm not sure what it does for them, but it causes me to love them more. Acts of good overcome evil. And this is what I told the young man. You do something good for them, you can overcome this anger that you feel you can't get over. We overcome evil with good. It says up in verse 16 of, of, of Romans 12, um, Do not be wise in your own estimation. Associate with the lowly. You never think yourself. We're to never think of ourselves as better than somebody else. This happens very often. We get a new member at work and you know, they don't really know how to do this. We get angry at them. Oh, they, they don't do this right. Well, did you know what to do right on your first day of the job? Go associate with the lowly. That is not a recommendation. That is a command. Associate with the lowly. Associate with the new person. Associate with the freshman. Never pay back evil for evil anyone, in verse 17. Respect what is right in, all men, in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We are to allow God to take revenge. Vengeance is His. It says that if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. You are to do good acts toward those who don't do good to you. That is what being a Christian is. It is never, it is never, well, we won't throw the first punch, but we'll throw the last. It is never that. That is never the attitude of Jesus. Jesus said you do them good. But God does avenge. And in our sweet little Christian minds, we think that God doesn't avenge. But that's not true. That is quoted in the Old Testament and now quoted here in the New Testament. God avenges. We are to allow God to do it. Because He is far more merciful than us. And only He has the right to do this. I was reading this passage, and, and, and I want to read it to you. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's about... It's talking from, uh, it's an exposition on Psalm 2 that talks about the vengeance of God upon leaders of nations that oppose Him and His Son. And you say, well, how could Psalm 2 talk about the Son of God? Read Psalm 2 and you will see, it very clearly says, talks about the Son of God. It even says, kiss the Son and do homage to Him, lest He become angry. And so, talking about this, this, this author gives us a, a little bit of insight. He says, it is easy for God to destroy his foes. Of 30 Roman emperors, governors of provinces, and other, others high in office, who distinguished themselves by their zeal and bitterness in persecuting the early Christians. So he's saying, here's a subset of leaders of Rome, who distinguished themselves as, as, as all out against Christians, all out against the church. He says, here's what became of them. One became speedily deranged after some atrocious cruelty. One was slain by his own son. 
one became blind. The eyes of one started out of his head. One was drowned. One was strangled. One died in a miserable captivity. One fell dead in a manner that will not bear recital. One died of so loathsome a disease that several of his physicians were put to death because they could not abide the stench that filled his room. Two committed suicide. A third attempted it, but had to call for help to finish the work. Five were assassinated by their own people or servants. Five others died the most miserable and excruciating deaths. Several of them having an untold complication of diseases, and eight were killed in battle or after having been taken prisoners. Among these was Julian the Apostate. In the days of his prosperity, he is said to have pointed his dagger to heaven, defying the Son of God, whom he commonly called the Galilean. But when he was wounded in battle, he saw that all was over with him, and he gathered up his clotted blood and threw it into the air, exclaiming, Thou hast conquered, O thou Galilean. You know, God is quite able to take vengeance. And the Bible says, you leave the vengeance to God. Our role, our role is just the opposite. Our role is to say, I will do you good for this evil that has come to me. That is a commandment. Because remember, without it, we take an oath not to eat or drink until we kill a man. That is what will happen to the human state. It will go so far as to mix in a religious practice of taking an oath of fasting to kill somebody. That is how far we will go with our deranged hearts. And the Bible says, you change this. You change this whole dynamic by overcoming this evil and angry attitude by doing good to the person who has hurt you. Do specific acts of good. Like, what do you mean? What am I supposed to do? Well, if he's hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. You buy him a Coke. And you go and you knock on his door and say, this is a gift for you. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Practical things we do to the people that have offended us. And we, we, call, we are then caused to love them more. And in that, we are freed from that, vicket, that wicked and vile anger which gets a hold of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of the gospel. Father, I thank you that you see our failings and our trying to share. And you say solemn testimony. Father, encourage us with that. To speak what little we might be able to speak. Because you, Lord, know our hearts. And Father, I thank You that though You have a plan for our lives, the route to fulfill that plan may never be easy. But You still have the plan. And Father, I thank You that You have given us a mechanism to overcome evil. And that's through good. 
Father, I pray for these young people that you would cause them to do good. That when they find themselves scheming or full of anger toward another or so frustrated with another that they can't even sleep, that they would do that person an act of good and thereby learn to love. Father, I pray for your grace. Let us walk your way. In the name of Jesus, amen.